Good evening. It is good to be together to worship God. If you're a guest, uh, again, welcome and thank you for being with us. If you would, take your Bible and open to John. We're going to be studying about John and from John tonight. And uh, what a marvelous weekend we've had today. Uh, we have had a wonderful day of We Are the Sermon Day. Hundreds of you have been out. It's just neat before service to hear different ones talking about where you've been. And uh, to each one of you that have been a part of it, great appreciation to those of you that have led areas and, and contacted uh, places in the community. Thank you so much for doing that. And we want to give God all the glory. We're just thankful that he's allowed us to be a part of his kingdom and today in a part of the work in this particular way. Uh, Hardison Moles will have a video at the end of this service for us to view of some of the places. He wasn't able to get uh, photos and footage from everywhere, uh, but you'll get just a taste of some of the places and we uh, look forward uh, to seeing that. Uh, powerful sermons have been heard today because of your example. As we think about John in just a few minutes, I encourage you to take a, a Bible and we'll be looking at that in a minute. And let me uh, inform you that Miss June Merriweather, one of our widows, uh, sweet lady, and she is on hospice. They called hospice out Thursday evening and uh, just very, very low right now. And uh, let's continue to uh, remember her and her son Joel in prayer and uh, be mindful of that over the next few days of how we can reach out and help him and, uh, and, and give uh, honor to the memory of this great woman when the time is appropriate. Also, Friday night and Saturday, uh, the first half of the day, the elders and ministers met <clears throat> together. Uh, we have a type of retreat each year about this time, and one of the things that we do is start looking uh, to next year and things that, that we need to be studying together and just making plans. And it really, really was just an exciting meeting in the sense that it's wonderful to, to see so much good that is being planned. And I would just ask your prayers on behalf of that. There's a lot of plans that will be made. Uh, over the next couple of months of, of where our spiritual focus in Scripture will be and uh, where we will encourage and challenge each other to grow. And uh, I hope that that's very much a concern in your mind of what, what are we going to be here as a part of the Lord's body, but the part of it right here at Mount Juliet. What are we going to be if the Lord gives us another year to live? And uh, let's take that serious and let's be praying about that and, and moving toward uh, spiritual growth and everything. It was a great reminder uh, that in those meetings of how blessed we are with the elders that lead us. And I, I know surely you're aware of that, uh, but to be able to spend in a very short period of time, about eight hours together, uh, was just a rich reminder of how blessed we are. And I'm so thankful for our elders. And uh, I don't think there's anybody here, unless you're an elder or been an elder, you could have any idea of how much time they give uh, to lead us. And uh, we just, to our elders, say a big thank you, and we love you, and we appreciate you dearly and, and deeply. Also, coming right out of that, on, on Saturday evening, we had trunk or treat. And of course, if you ever need to be encouraged, you just need to just come by and walk through trunk or treat. Families like the Hides can just brighten your day. We can go to the next slide and get a close-up. There you go. That... I, and, and I wish the, the picture I got is a little bit fuzzy. I, I wish uh, 
Well, that's an iPhone, enough said. But anyway, I, I wish we would have uh, got a better shot of that. Just great, great little Kennedy there and Spencer and Cody. And, and uh, it's just a, a lot of uh, joy. Uh, also, we'd be amiss to not think uh, Mike and Stacy Eakes and really his family. Uh, they, and he had some other helpers too, but, but they lead that event each year and other events as well and just do a great job with it. And uh, the, the Eakes had quite a day Saturday. If I understand right, uh, Brooke and Chase started out Saturday morning by each killing eight points within 30 minutes of each other. And then by early afternoon, they're here setting up and then cleaning up after an event. Now, my book, that's a pretty good day right there. Uh, but God is good to us in a lot of ways. And now we're about to think about kingdom living that we've been thinking about a lot for the year. And I'd like for you to think about, especially from the book or the Gospel of John, We've been starting a lot of our lessons throughout this year, and especially we will throughout this series, of this same idea of, is Christ your King? This is what it all boils down to. We can learn a lot about the Lord, but ultimately we have to decide, are we going to believe in Him, and are we going to serve Him, and is He truly, are we going to allow Him to be our King? And that rests on you and nobody else. You can make excuses, you can pass the buck, you can do whatever you want, but ultimately it comes down to this. You either allow Christ to be your king or you don't let him be your king, and it's nobody else's business, it's yours. And I hope through this study that every one of us will, will get out of kind of this American mentality that, that's always wanting to pass bucks and nobody's responsible. And uh, through this, this is all about us and the Lord. Is he your king? If not, there's no excuses. And, and I hope that when we go to a gospel where the writer literally says, I am writing this gospel to give you proof that he is the son of God and then believing that you can have eternal life. I hope we can do justice to the study because that's what the book's designed to do and I hope every one of us can say, I believe more than ever that he is the son of God and I am living for eternal life, that he is the king of my life. So what is this gospel about? On Sunday mornings, we're going to keep studying the, the signs, the, the seven uh, miracles throughout uh, the, the Gospel of John. And depending on how you count them, you really could get more than seven, but typically it's oftentimes referred to as seven. But what I thought we'd do tonight, we won't do this every night uh, throughout this series, but I thought we'd take the time tonight just to give a little background of the Gospel itself, that then as we study through it on Sunday mornings, perhaps it'd be a little bit richer and deeper for us, and just remind you several of the things I'm going to cover, several of you will know it, it'd be a good reminder for for us and others, maybe it'll help us all. When we think about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic. In other words, several of the things covered in, in one of those is covered in the other two also. But then we have John out here that just kind of stands out on its own, and, and it's a unique Gospel, and it's a beautiful Gospel. But here's some things that are in all four of the Gospels. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's in all four of the Gospels. Jesus' ministry mentioning John the Baptist is in all four of the Gospels. And then, of course, Jesus' life, his ministry, but then especially the triumphant entry into Jerusalem that last week, the Passover, the Last Supper, the arrest, the trials, the crucifixion, and the resurrection, all of that is in all four of the Gospels. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise to us because the word gospel comes from the idea of good news. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, Paul defines what that good news is, and he says it's what? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so these four books that we call gospel 
all four of them contain the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, even though some of them will, will omit certain actions of Jesus or certain teachings of Jesus, none of them are going to be called Gospels and omit the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So what is only in John? These are a few things, okay? This is not meant to be a comprehensive list, but here are a few things that we only find in the book of John. And by this, what I mean to you is, it'd be great if we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke. How rich would that be? But when I read this list, I'm kind of amazed. I think, wow, I'm so glad that we have that one gospel that's not the synoptic gospel because I would hate to think that I've got to understand Jesus without the knowledge of some of this revelation that's given to us in John. For example, the calling of Andrew, Peter, and Nathaniel out of chapter 1 is rich. We only read that in John. The marriage in Cana we studied this morning is only in John. That powerful talk with Nicodemus in John 3 is only in John. The woman at the well, Samaria, in, in the fourth chapter, is only in John. Healing the lame man at the pool of Bethesda is only in John. The man born in the blind, uh, blind and, and you know, there was quite a turmoil when he was healed. His own, his own parents wouldn't take up for him because they didn't want to take up for Jesus. And it's one of those, it's really a challenging study that, that could be very convicting to all of us. Are we willing to stand up for Jesus and to think that, that these parents would not do that? That's only found in John. Raising up Lazarus from the dead, a powerful story, only found in John. Washing the disciples' feet, only found in John. Aren't you thankful that we have this beautiful gospel of John that tells us so many things? Probably, if it were not for the gospel of John, many of us would assume that the Lord's ministry was only two years long. But it's because of some details in the Gospel of John that we're pretty convinced that the Lord's ministry was three years long. And so that's another little tidbit that we learn from the Gospel of John. All right, what's not in John? Here are some things that are not in John. And of course, we'll find them in the Synoptic Gospels. The virgin birth, Jesus' baptism, his temptation, his transfiguration, the Lord's Supper being instituted, the agony in Gethsemane. We don't read those things in John. We also don't read of lepers being healed or demonic healings, casting out demons. Interesting enough, even though those are so much a part of the synoptic gospels, we don't read those in John. What are two vital things when he says, I'm writing this gospel to prove to you that Jesus is the Son of God and believing that you can have eternal life? What are two things that he does to prove it? First would be the I am statements, and then would be the miracles. So let's just notice a quick glance at this, because if we're going to really have an understanding of John, we need to know this. Now I want to pause here for, uh, I, we just peruse over this list real quick. And I want you to think how provocative and how powerful these statements are, because it's one thing to state something and it be true at the moment. It's an entirely different thing when you can state something in 2,000 years, it is still true. Some of us in this room are old enough to remember when Muhammad Ali would, he loved talking about, I am the greatest. You remember that? Well, listen, at the time he was saying that, in just one little arena of life, and that one little bitty arena of life was boxing, he was the greatest at that period of time in that one little arena. Now, you're not going to look back two or three hundred years from now and say, that statement he made is still true. Do you see the point here? It is powerful when we read the Gospel of John, and it is not just a history about Jesus. 
It is about who Jesus is today. The I am statements are just as true today as they have ever been. And that is powerful. For example, when he says, I am the bread of life, it wasn't that 2,000 years ago he was the one that could sustain people no matter what continent they lived on, he could sustain them. But he can't do that today. No, he, he still is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. And, and if we're going to throw in an eighth one, we could have this out of the eighth chapter in, in verse 58, when before Abraham was, I am. And uh, the fact that he is God. And then he, he says in the 10th chapter, I am the door. And he's still the only way into eternal life and to the Father. When he says, I am the good shepherd, he still is the good shepherd. When he says, I am the resurrection, that's a powerful statement. How, how many of us, apart from Jesus Christ, could boast of the fact that we could have power over the resurrection. Now, through Jesus Christ, you and I do have power over the re resurrection. But without Jesus, can you boast that? Absolutely not. He can boast of it. He can identify himself that way because that is true. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he says, I am the true vine. In other words, if we're going to have a spiritual productivity in our life, if we're going to have that spiritual strength and connection in our life, it has to be through the vine. Uh, we have to be connected to the vine. No other way around it. And so these I am statements are so powerful that we find in the Gospel of John. But then also notice, this is where we will be going on Sunday mornings. Uh, we see the, the signs. The first one we looked at this morning, water to wine, we'll be looking at the healing of the official son and the healing at the pool of Bethesda, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water of Jesus, the healing of the man born blind, and then the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And uh, that's what you have to look forward to. But let's think for just a moment. What about the source of this? And have your Bible. We'll have it on the screen here. But, but where did this book come from? Somebody says, well, John wrote it. But where did John get this information? Turn, if you will, to John, the 14th chapter. I'd like for us to look at one that's on the screen here and then one verse that's not on the screen here. I want to remind us all of something that, that is so important that we should not take for granted. You know, when, when we get to John, the uh, <clears throat> 13th chapter, we have a, a shift in the Gospel of John, and, and we'll mention this even more in just a moment, but this is where Jesus becomes very private in his ministry on these chapters, and it's where he's just primarily with the apostles and he's teaching them. And so we make a mistake whenever we read some of the things in like the 13th or 14th or 15th or 16th chapter, and we think all of that applies to us because there's some things he says to the apostles that simply does not apply to us. And look at the 14th chapter, verse 26. He was getting them ready for the fact that when he ascends into heaven, they were so accustomed to being able to turn on earth and look right at Jesus and say, what I need to know here, what I need to say, what I need to do. What are they going to do when he ascends into heaven and Jesus isn't right there ready or, or available to teach them? Look in John 14 and 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. How many times the word all in there? It's in there twice. What does all mean? It means all. So when he says, when he says, I'm going to send a Holy Spirit that's going to bring all things I've ever taught you to your remembrance. In other words, I'm not going to be on earth. You can't turn around to me and say, hey, Jesus, you remember that time you told in the Sermon on the Mount? What, what did you say there? He says, don't worry about it. Miraculously, 
you are going to have the ability to remember all things I've taught you. And then indirectly he says this. You don't read it in here, but indirectly he says, and by the way, I haven't had time to teach you all things. So the things I haven't had time to teach you, the Holy Spirit is not only going to bring to your remembrance all things, he's going to teach you all things. And so when we look, at John writing this gospel. And you say, how did John write the gospel? Brethren, if we understand inspiration, writing the gospel is no problem for John. He has the Holy Spirit coming down and informing him by the remembrance, anything that he was there, eyewitness, he could remember it exactly right. Tracy constantly tells me, she says, the older you get, the less you remember things accurately. I'll start telling this story. She'll say, no, it wasn't that way. And, And she'll correct all the details. And you know, I would guess she's right. But you know what? The apostles didn't have that problem. They didn't start saying, well, Jesus said this, and they remembered wrongly. What? No, it didn't happen that way. Why? Because it was a miracle. It was the Holy Spirit working in a miraculous fashion in their lives. The Holy Spirit's not going to work that way in our lives. But we have a book that all truth, all truth, Everything that needed to be remembered of Jesus has been recorded in this book. All remembrances of Jesus, all truth that we need is in this book. So now we can open this and we must open this. And this is our diet because this gives us all truth that Jesus is offering us. It's all that we need. Now, if you want to just look at kind of the same thing said again, just skip over a chapter there. Look at the 16th chapter and verse 13. It's very similar teaching, but just see it again. Again, Jesus is with the apostles, and notice what he says in 16 to 13. However, when he, the spirit of what? The spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into how much? All truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. What was the work of the Holy Spirit that was so powerful that was promised to the apostles? I'm not saying this is the only work, but one of the powerful works of the Holy Spirit that was promised to the apostles is, listen, you're going to have a ton of teaching, preaching, writing, advising, counseling, shepherding to do as this church gets off the ground and just know the Holy Spirit is going to be there to give you the remembrance and the knowledge of every word of truth that you could need. And then that being recorded for us is a rich, rich blessing. And so that's the source of the writing of John. It's, it's written by inspiration. And so we see the style of John's writings. He loves contrast, like light and darkness, the, the flesh or the carnal nature versus the spirit or the spiritual, earthly versus heavenly, life, death, to see or to be blind or to love or to hate or rejoice or to mourn. And we see those contrasts all throughout the stories and the teachings throughout the gospel. Now, if you want a simple outline, this is what I said we'd, we'd look at just a little more, but we're going to do this very quickly. The first chapter is a prologue, prologue and then a witness of Jesus' uh, 
we, we see John the Baptist in the first chapter, and then we see Andrew and, and John the Apostle that wrote this, as we mentioned this morning. Then we see Peter added to that. Then we see Philip added to that. Then we see Nathaniel added to that. That's a big part of the introduction to say in the first chapter, here are powerful men that they witnessed Jesus and they proclaimed great truths about Jesus. And we'll mention just a few minutes some of the truths that they mentioned. But then when we go to the first chapter, verse 19, all the way to the 12th chapter is the public ministry. Now I know sometimes when I study the people one-on-one, they kind of are, it's like, really? I never thought about that. When you get to the 13th chapter of John, the public ministry is over. And now we're in the upper room. And for the next several chapters, it's just going to be what happened that night of Jesus' arrest, and then we have his crucifixion. And so from the 13th chapter to the 17th chapter happened in a very short few hours. And that's just kind of neat that we are told so much that happened in those short few hours, not covering years like the previous chapters would do. And then in 18 through 20, we have the death, burial, and resurrection, and then post-resurrection stories in 20 and 21, and we talked about things that was in John a while ago. Can you imagine? What if we didn't have that detailed story in John 21 of Jesus asking Peter three times, do you love me? That great post-resurrection story. The Gospel of John is absolutely a beautiful and marvelous study. The purpose of the writing in John 20 and verse 30 is, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. You see what he's saying? I could have chosen from many, many miracles. There were so many of them. But notice the very next, and and we go to the next slide, and this next is going to be in, in red. And notice he says, but these are written... Why? That you may believe that Jesus Christ, Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John, tell us, you could have chosen so many miracles. Why did you choose primarily these seven? And he said, I picked seven that I would know would give proof that Jesus is the Son of God and that if you could understand these miracles, you could come to believe and have eternal life. That's a beautiful, beautiful revelation uh, that's given through the Holy Spirit. Now, this, we're, 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 we're wrapping up, but with a very important point. If, if I could only take one part of this lesson tonight and say, I'd love to preach a whole lesson on this, this would be it. We're not going to do that, okay? But, but I'd like for you to think about this, because if this interests you and you want to study this this week, this, I, I just loved. When I was getting ready to, to, to preach through this, these sections, and John, a few weeks ago, I just sat down and started reading. And, and this just leaped off the page. Like right now, if I said, get out a blank piece of paper and write names or descriptions of Jesus, some of you would probably be kind of stumped after five or six or seven because you're young in the faith. Others of you say, I, I could list 30 or 40, 50 descriptions of Jesus. You know what's awesome? The way the Gospel of John begins is in that first chapter, John wanted to make sure that we knew clearly from many, many angles, by names that Jesus was called or described by, or even just descriptions of things that he had done. It really is. If you've never read it like this, you just go back and read John 1 this week with this in mind. It is information overload on who Jesus is. It's just name or description, verse after verse after verse. I want to give you just a few of them uh, right here in John 1, and the lesson is yours. In other words... In John 1 and 1, we see that Jesus is called the Word. In other words, He was literally the incarnation of truth. He was the Word. Now, I made a mistake here. I meant to go back. In that very same verse, 
Jesus is also called God. And that's very important. In the third verse, it's very clear he is identified as the creator. Nothing would be made if it were not for him. He is the force in creation. And then we go to verse 4 and 5. He is the light. The world's not going to comprehend it. He talked more to Nicodemus about that very same thing, but that's how he begins here. He says, the world's not going to comprehend it if they decide to stay in darkness. But if you want to come to light, the only way to be enlightened into truth is you have to come to Jesus. You have to learn Jesus if you're ever going to be enlightened. Now, I want you to think about what we just covered. He, he was the Word. In other words, the Word of God incarnated, brought to earth. He, he is God. He is the creator. He is the light. We won't know what we need to know without him. And then look at that next one in verse 14. He's human. You can dwell on that one all night and you won't ever fully understand it. By the time you think you get a grasp on, on, on incarnation, it's kind of like trying to understand eternity. It just slips through your fingers. It's amazing to think that Jesus Christ was 100% God. He was 100% creator. And yet, he came to this earth 100% man, 100% created as a man. It's just amazing. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And then when John the Baptist started describing who Jesus was, he called him Jesus. That's the earthly name, Christ. That's the glorified one. In other words, that's the one that says he fulfilled all Old Testament prophecy. And then in verse 18, he says he's the only begotten son. But some of your translations are going to say only begotten God. In other words, the emphasis is he is God. And then when we go to the first chapter in verse 34, he's called Son of God. When we go to the first chapter in 36, he's called Lamb of God. If you back back up to verse 29, he's called Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we got this one that is the creator of everything, but now we have this one that can create everything eternally. The sin that's going to separate us from God, he can take it away. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. And in 1 and 41, Andrew runs and tells Peter, we found the Messiah. That great term that's similar to the Christ, but telling us he's the one that fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. And then we have Nathaniel making a powerful statement when he says, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. In other words, clearly identifying this is the man. This man that grew up in Nazareth, he's the son of Joseph. That is the man who is, and look at the next one in, in 1 and 49, he is the king of Israel. And also in 1 and 49 is where he also said he is the son of God, the king of Israel. And then Jesus' reply to him in verse 51 was, I'm the son of man. Why did he switch it? Why did Nathaniel say you're the son of God and Jesus' answer back is I'm the son of man? Both are showing that he is God in flesh. Probably what he was doing was that thing, my hour's not yet come. And so people that understood who he was, if he says, I'm the son of man, they understand he's the son of God. But people out in the world and to stir up those that would, would say, I'm going to appoint him as king and then stir up the envy. And, then, and so it wasn't time for his crucifixion. And so that's probably one of the reasons why he early on would continually call himself the son of man. And then when we read that verse in 1 and 51, we see that he is the way to heaven, which is, is very similar to Jacob's dream, is that the language uh, that, that he's using there. And so what did I learn today? I learned that when people really understand who Jesus was or who he is. But I'm thinking about when you go back to John 1, 
and all these witnesses that really came to understand who he was, all of them got very, very excited. I just want to let you marinate on that a minute. When's the last time you've been really excited just about Jesus? Not necessarily about the people around you that believe in Jesus. Not about all the blessings that might flow from Jesus. When's the last time you got excited about learning who Jesus is? And just recognizing who Jesus is. If you can honestly say right now, I don't, I don't remember that. I hope that over the next few weeks we can grow in our love and appreciation for Jesus. Number two, when people learn of Jesus, they have to do something with Him. We're about to sing a song of encouragement in just a minute. And I hope that as we've studied today about Jesus, that if you do not have Jesus as your Savior, I hope you do the right thing with Him. Because again, as we begin this evening, nobody else can do for you what you need to do with Jesus. It's all on you. You decide if He's going to be king of your life. You can stop Him from being king of your life or you can allow Him to be king of your life. But we all have to do something with Him. And number three, I need to devote my life to getting to know Jesus. I don't know how that strikes you when I say that. But a few years ago, it dawned on me. I've devoted a lot of my life to trying to learn Scripture. And I'm not saying I've done it well. I really haven't. I've got a lot more to learn, a lot more. But a few years ago, it dawned on me. How much have I devoted in trying to learn Jesus? That's the purest motive for studying Scripture. When we can say, I want to study Scripture because I want to know Jesus. I want to know who He is. I want to know who He wants me to be. I want to know who Jesus' church is. I want to know what Jesus' people look like when they wait for His return. I want to know what people look like when they stand before Jesus and they hear, well done. Brethren, everything about who we are ought to revolve around the fact, I want to know Jesus. Tonight, if you and I know Jesus, there is no way to verbalize how blessed we are if we have submitted our life to the Jesus we know. If we don't know Jesus, there is no way to truly say that your life is where it needs to be. You're missing the only one that really matters. And so tonight, I hope that we love Jesus. I hope we're excited about Jesus. I hope we've surrendered our life to Jesus. And I hope that we're excited about being able to go to Bible class Sunday morning and study about Jesus and Matthew and, and come into worship and study about Jesus from John. But is Jesus your king? If you want to be immersed into Christ, you would excite us. We would love to be a part of witnessing that and thank God for it. If you're a believer, ready to repent of sins and confess before man. If you've begun that journey, but along the way you've lost sight of that journey, and you want to come back to Him. If we can pray with you and for you, we'd be honored to do so. If we can help you in any-